Hi, my name's Paul Grogan. Welcome to episode 5 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This podcast is an audio version of the Gaming Rules live Q&A from the end of September 2021. If you prefer to watch this on YouTube, that video is already there, but a number of people have asked me to create this podcast as an audio version only. This is only possible with the financial support of my Patreon campaign. So a huge thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this possible. And if you like the content that I create, please consider supporting me at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. I'm also interested to know how many people actually listen to these audio podcasts. So if you do listen to it, please leave me a message somewhere. If you're a patron supporter, just let me know. Uh, but if you're not a patron supporter, drop me a message somehow and just let me know that you listen to these. Now, on with the show. Right, and here we are live for another monthly live Q&A. Thank you very much to everybody for joining me. As always, please let me know in the chat if you can hear me and you can see me okay. Vicky is here joining me. She's gonna give me the thumbs up in about three or four seconds to let me know that everything is working fine. Everything's working fine. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me. And as always, tonight's live Q&A is gonna comprise of questions that I have been asked in advance on my BGG Guild, and then we're going to go to the live questions. So the first half of today's show is going to be answering the questions I've been asked in advance. If you do have any questions for me now, please put them in the chat, but start with the word QUESTION in capitals. Uh, Vicky will see those messages and she'll copy and paste it into a document, and I'll get to those afterwards. Now, we are on a bit of a time limit today. I am going to try and wrap things up by 6.30, um, because we've got to grab dinner, and then I've got another stream happening tonight. We're playing the Arkham Horror Living Card game tonight. So yeah, going to try wrap things up around 6.30, if we can. Um, also, there'll be a contest, there'll be everything else. Now, before we start, I just wanted to say a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. Uh, for those who don't know, for those who are watching this maybe for the first time, I do rely on the financial support of the Patreon campaign in order to create videos like this, uh, but also a lot of the other videos that I create. So if you'd like the content that I create and you are in a position to be able to support me, uh, please consider supporting me at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Patreon supporters do get access to exclusive Slack channel, behind the scenes videos, uh, and lots of other things as well. So let's jump in and start with some of the questions and then we'll loop back and talk about the this this month's contest. Two contests. Three, in fact. Um, so the first one, and this is the most important question, so we're going to get this one out of the way first. This is a very sensitive question, and I know a lot of people um, might be upset by my answer to this, so I just wanted to warn you in advance, it's quite a political sensitive subject. James wants to know, he says, you and a super intelligent snail both get $1 million and we both become immortal. However, I die if the snail touches me. It always knows where I am and it slowly crawls towards me. What's your plan? Now, thankfully, James asked this question about a week ago on the Guild, so I've had a week to think about it. Uh, I talked it over with Vicky and we've come up with a plan. Basically, if I've got a million dollars, I will hire somebody to follow the snail around and every, every day, well, I'll probably put a GPS tracker on the snail and then I'll hire somebody every day to basically pick up the snail and return it back to where it's from, or probably just fly the snail to another country or something like that. So yeah, so that, that's my plan, GPS tracker and hire somebody to keep the snail away from me. Right, next question, caveman versus spaceman, who would win? Spaceman. Spaceman's probably got all sorts of fancy technology. Right, next important, as I say, it's all important questions today. <laughs> next question is from Monica. Have I ever, totally lost confidence in my ability to understand a game 
and has a game ever totally defeated you. So over my uh, period where I've been playing games, which is for a very long time, there have been a couple of games which I have just really struggled with. Now, there's I've struggled with them for a few reasons. There's a few games where even if I know the rules of the game, I just can't seem to play it well and I always come last and it, it just something doesn't gel. But if you're talking about losing my confidence and ability to understand a game, there were some games from from the you know the 80s and 90s where we weren't able to understand the game and this was pre the internet pre BGG and the rulebook was terrible so those games yes we 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 weren't able to understand them and you ended up having to you know improvise or whatever now you just go online and get the answer straight away but there is one game that stands out and this is for me um this this was a few years ago this was too many bones now, as regular viewers of mine will know, I am now a regular player of Too Many Bones. I've done 10 videos this year or 11 videos of this year where I've played through Too Many Bones and I'm now okay with it. However, uh, the original rulebook for Too Many Bones, I think it's fair to say, isn't good. Uh, the learning curve for the game is huge um, and the, 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 the reference sheets that you get are really hard to understand. Um, so yeah, it took me a long time. And in fact, I played three games of it when I first got a copy of Undertow um, and it defeated me. And I basically, every time we played it, we were like, no, we don't get this. We're not understanding how to play. We're clearly doing something wrong. We don't understand what we're doing. And the game went back in the box. But because Too Many Bones is such a big popular game, I decided this year, at the start of this year, that I would put in the time and effort needed to overcome that hurdle and actually learn how to play the game. And if I hadn't have done that, it would have sat there as a game which defeated me. But yeah, so um, yeah, that's that one. Brian wants to know if I will be involved, sticking with the chip theory games, uh, will I be involved in the rulebook for the latest Too Many Bones expansion, Unbreakable? Um, I haven't been asked to be involved in that at any point. So, uh, and if they were to ask me at this point, I probably wouldn't be able to. Um, and although I've just been critical of the original rulebook for Too Many Bones, which I stand by, even though Chip Theory Games are friends and clients of mine, um, their new rulebooks are a lot, lot better. They've put a lot of time and effort into their rulebooks, and they realise that their rulebooks were a bit of a hurdle to learning their games. Uh, Brian also wants to know, on a, on a related Too Many Bones note, what are my favourite gear locks, uh, and what do I think would be their favourite biscuits? Always got to be biscuit questions with Brian. Now, although I've played, you know, 10 or 11 games of Too Many Bones this year, I still don't really have a favourite um, because I've played some of the characters, some of the gear locks two or three times. I haven't played all of them. Uh, I, I probably have a preference for ranged characters so that I'm not... But that, that's just me naturally. You know, back when I played D&D, I always liked to play a character with a bow. Uh, I didn't like the whole get in and into the melee. It's... It, too dangerous for me. Um, but uh, no, I don't have a favourite character. I've liked all of the ones that I've played. Um, and even when I played Tantrum, it's like I enjoyed playing it. It was very different. So no, I, I, I don't have a favourite, I'm afraid. And if you ask me that question in another year, two years time, I'm probably still not going to have a favourite because, yeah, I'd need to play the game a lot more. Next question is from class. And then we're going to just going to break uh, and go to the contest. Um, so... In fact, I'm going to merge some of these questions together. So class is knowing is basically saying, uh, is going to Essenspiel mainly going to be work for me or do I get to just enjoy the fair? I know those aren't mutually exclusive. And I'm just going to go further on because there is a question 
later on, I think, let me just scroll down. I'm sure I saw it. Yeah, Mindy wants to know, am I attending Essen this year? So a few weeks ago, I decided that I was going to attend Essen this year. Um, there was a lot of reasons why I wasn't going to attend it. Um, one of them, I'm very, very nervous uh, about traveling. We don't know what the rules are going to be. Nervous about getting stuck in a hotel for 10 days because I've got to quarantine. Uh, my current workload situation, there's lots of reasons why I didn't want to go. But I realized I had to go because I've got to pull myself out of the rut of being scared to go places. So going going to Essen is, is part of my uh, recovering to try, try and get back into normal life. And it is going to be different. It is going to be strange. Um, but my plan this year, because for the last probably 10 years, I've worked at Essen, mainly doing demos for CGE, sometimes doing demos for other publishers. Um, I did some demos of Founders of Gloomhaven one year. But this year, um, I'm not going to be working that much. I am probably doing, I'm in discussions with CGE. I might be doing some demos of Under Falling Skies each morning, just for a couple of hours. Uh, and I'm going to help be helping out my friends at the Detective Society stand, just covering breaks, really. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to be working that much at the event. So I'm going to be taking a step back from the work and I'm going to be hopefully enjoying it a bit more. So speaking of Essen, um, where, where were the questions? The questions were, hang on a minute, where is it? I'm going to find it in a second because somebody has asked me lots of questions about Essen and I should have merged all of these together. Um, no, we'll come on to that later on. We'll come on to that later on. Uh, come on to that later on. It's definitely here. Yeah, it, it is the question from, from Mindy. Right, so what am I lo most looking forward to at Essen this year? Um, so there's a few things. I am hope I'm looking forward to taking it a bit easier because Essen for me is quite stressful. It is all rushing around and it is physically draining and physically exhausting. I'm not getting any younger and as I get older, I've, my ability to take that level um, of stress and exhaustion has has been declined and it's been having a, a really bad effect on my physical health when I attend conventions. So I'm hoping that taking it easier means I'll actually get to enjoy it a bit more. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing people. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying out some new games. One of the most important things, and some people watching this might think I'm, I'm just saying this and I don't actually mean it. I never do that, right? I do actually mean this, meeting up with patron supporters. As I mentioned at the start, this channel only exists because of the support of patrons. Actually meeting up with people who make my life possible to say thank you is going to be great. And I and I, I can't wait. Now, some of those patron supporters I've met before. Some of them I met at the last Essen. Some of them are good friends of mine. <laughs> um, but meeting them all and meeting new patrons is going to be fantastic. And I'm just going to bring forward Harold's question because Harold has a question of, have I ever thought of introducing a new pledge level on the Patreon? Uh, he's saying, let's call it Platinum Producer who gets to meet me at Essen. There's no need for that. If you are a patron supporter of mine, I mean, anybody can meet me at Essen. But if you're a patron supporter of mine, you've already had a message uh, which I sent out last week about the meetup, which is happening on Thursday night. But um, that's not the only time you're going to get to meet me. Basically, my plan at Essen is uh, to set a, 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 a time when I know what time I'm covering for Detective Society, which is probably going to be around lunchtime. My plan is to say, if you want to hang out with me for the afternoon, 
come by the Detective Society stand at, you know, one o'clock or two o'clock and I, I'll be free for the afternoon and we can walk around Essen and we can try games together and we can do all of that. Now, I'm not going to be able to hang out with everybody, but it's kind of an open invite. So yes, Essen. Um, I mean, the next time I do one of these live Q&As, Essen will have happened. <laughs> it's in two weeks time. Okay, I'm starting to get scared. Right, let's just take a short break and mention the contest. So I've actually got three contests running at the moment, okay? The first contest is my regular monthly giveaway where one of my patron supporters is going to win a copy of a game and this month the copy of their game, the game they're going to win is Origins First Builders, kindly donated by Board and Dice. So thank you very much to Board and Dice for that. To enter that contest, you need to do absolutely nothing. If you are a patron supporter, you get entered into the contest. If you're not a patron supporter, I'm sorry, you're not eligible for that contest. But if you want to support me on Patreon, as long as you support me by the end of tomorrow, um, by the end of the month, then you will get entered into the contest automatically. So that's the first contest I'm doing. The second contest is part of this live Q&A. And this contest starts now and it runs until the next live Q&A. So if you're watching this live, you can enter the contest now. Vicky's going to post a link in the comments uh, in the chat right now. Uh, and if you want to enter the contest, you can click on that right now. But this contest runs for four weeks effectively. So if you're not watching this video live, and to be fair, 95% of the views that I get on these videos are not live, you can still enter the contest. All you need to do is click on the link, it'll be in the description of the video, it takes you to a Google form and it asks you for your name, your email address and a secret word. The secret word today is poisoned because we're playing Arkham Horror card game tonight um, and that is one of the cards that I was suffering from but I've been to the hospital and I am now no longer poisoned. So yeah, so that's the link to the contest which you can enter as I say. You can enter it now, I'll do the draw next month. Last month's live Q&A contest winner uh, was Andy Herman. Thank you very much, Andy, for your support on Patreon. Uh, and thank you very much to Gameslaw for giving me £25 worth of games vouchers to give away to the winner. So that, that's what you win for the live Q&A contest. Uh, and Andy won last month. And yeah, that's everything. While we're talking about contest, I am running a third contest right now. And this is to win a copy of Concordia Digital. Uh, to enter this contest, you need to go and watch the Concordia video that I uploaded about an hour ago. So have a look on my channel. It went live about an hour ago. I'm doing a first look at the Concordia Digital version. And there is a link in the description of that video which tells you how to enter the contest. That contest expires on the 3rd of October. And at that point, I will be giving away the keys uh, to the game. The Akram Digital have given me four keys to give away to my supporters. Um, with all of my contests, if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries into the hat. So yeah, again, big thank you to all of my patron supporters. Right, back to the questions. Where did we get up to? Sean. Sean has got some questions. Of all of the rule books that I've worked on, is there one or more that I'm particularly proud of? There's a lot of them that I'm particularly proud of. Um, but I think the ones which I'm most proud of are the ones which have had the biggest impact. So the ones I'm thinking of are Robinson Crusoe, the new version of Robinson Crusoe, because the old one was terrible and the new one was very, very highly praised. Um, and I, it's because I spent a lot of time. I put everything, every ounce of passion that I had into that. And I think it shows. I think it, I think it shows. Um, what I did with the second edition Robinson Crusoe rulebook is I didn't just take the rulebook and fix it. I, I spent two months looking through 
six years worth of forum questions, including a 69-page FAQ that had been put together by fans, um, including some answers, some questions which have never been answered. And I held Ignacy down and I said, I am not letting you go until we get answers to each of these questions. And that took a two-month two-month process of going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards until every single question I had was answered. And then we put all of those answers into the rule book, which meant changing a few things. But in the end, I'm really happy with that rule book. I think I'm also going to be quite proud of the new uh, rulebook for Batman and Gotham City Chronicles. Again, because the original one was received a lot of negative criticism that Batman Gotham City Chronicles was a big expensive game that unfortunately a lot of people weren't able to play. So I'm proud of it, even though it's not out yet and nobody's seen it yet, but I hope it's going to be good, is that it's going to enable the, the people who already spent hundreds of dollars on the game who aren't able to play it, they're going to be able to play it. And I don't know whether that's just proud or it just it just makes me happy that that's, that's going to uh, happen. Um, there's a few other ones. Euthia, Torment of Resurrection, just been delivered to people. That took a huge amount of effort and I'm really pleased with that. Uh, Frostpunk, ISS Vanguard I'm working on. Frostpunk is almost finished. ISS Vanguard is still a work in progress. I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to be proud of them, but we, we, we will have to see. Sean also wants to know, if I had to choose between playing a game I love 10 times or playing 10 new games once each, which would I choose? It would be the first one. Now, if you'd have asked me that question maybe 10 years ago, it might have been the second one. But again, as time's gone on, I've got older, things have evolved. My capacity for learning new games is still there. But if I could play a game I love 10 times, that would be always my choice. I'm interested. What do you think? If you're watching this in the chat, uh, or if you're watching this afterwards, leave me a comment. Which would you choose? Uh, option A, which is a game you love 10 times, or option B, 10 new games. Because there is something exciting about learning new games. Um, and Sean has got one more question. What is the last game that I'd remove from my collection? Say, for sentimental reasons, or it being impossible to replace? There's probably a few. Um, that I've got, but one of them that leaps to mind is the original Through the Ages, the first edition of Through the Ages, because it was 2006. We were going to Essen, my, my group, me and a load of friends of mine were going to Essen that year, and I'd been told a week before that there is going to be a new Civilization style game, and Civilization style games are possibly my favourite style of game. Um, absolutely love Civ type games. New company, nobody's ever heard of them before, and there's this new Civ game. And it was Vlada Chavatel with Through the Ages. And I bought the first edition of Through the Ages for 30 euros, or it might have even been, was it even euros in 2006? I can't remember, but it was cheap. It was so cheap. And the reason why it's a sentimental reason is, because I'm never going to play that first edition again. <laughs> never ever going to play it again. Um, is that was the first time I met Vlaja. That meeting is one of the things which led me to where I am now, because that got me working with CGE and everything spiralled from there. And my entire work in the industry is all stemmed from a few moments, that, that being one of them. So yeah, I'm definitely not going to get rid of that one. Um, next question from Phil. Um, he wants to get the important stuff, stuff sorted first. He wants to know when it comes to mealtimes... Who is the greediest, Thor or Loki? So for those regular, for those 
people who don't know me, we have two cats, uh, Thor and Loki. They, their eating habits are very, very different. Um, Loki is definitely the greediest. Loki is constantly meowing at us all day long whenever he's, well, he's just always hungry. And mealtimes is funny because Thor will start eating his food. Nom, 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 nom. Loki will be gut at it. He'll be throwing it around. He'll be, he'll be like, he'll be like eating it like it's the last thing on earth. So yeah, Loki is definitely the greediest. Um, he's already slightly overweight and he's still constantly eating. And we don't know what to do because we can't not feed him when he's, he's there, sort of like you know meowing at us very very loudly. But anyway, um, Phil says that his he's got a mug Barry who is a belly on legs. <laughs> and you've had to dissuade him from getting at Steve's plate while Steve is still eating. We had to do that. We've stopped doing it recently, but about a month ago, for about well, maybe, maybe a couple of months, we had to have supervised mealtimes because Loki would kind of eat his own and then bully Thor out of the way. And if we weren't careful, Loki would just eat everything. Right. A question from Mick. Aside from the obvious answer of Through the Ages, are there games that you would only really want to play as a Steam stroke web implementation rather than a physical board game? And why do I prefer the non-physical version? So this is a good question, Mick. I've had a little bit of a think about this, but I didn't think about it long enough to be able to answer your question. So I think this is actually a really good question for the guild. So we haven't mentioned the guild yet. On Board Game Geek, I have a guild. It is guild number 2258. Vicky's gonna put a link to it now. If you are not a member of the guild, please click the link, please join the guild, and please subscribe to the guild. It's a very quiet guild. There isn't really much conversation there, and I know I say this every month, but I have a guild, and you are welcome to use that guild and post things and ask questions and, and various other things. So Mick, if you're able to post that to the guild, great. If you can't, let me know, and I, I can post that to the guild. But I think that's a really good question. So it's a question that I'd like to ask you right now in the chat. Feel free to put your messages in the chat now of, of what game you would like to see a digital implementation for that there isn't a di digital implementation for that you would only really want to play because through the ages is one of my favorite games it's probably a top three game for me but i would happily never play the physical version again because the digital version is so much better it takes less time to play but also i can spend 15 minutes thinking about my turn undoing my turn doing everything and it's not taking up any time from anybody else. So yeah, they made the digital version too good that the board game for me wouldn't get played anymore now. And there are probably other ones as well. I will try and have a think about it. Um, but yeah, great question. Let's let's get that answered on the on the chat. Uh, Mick also wants to know, do I have any advice for starting out a new Arkham Horror campaign in terms of choice of investigators and which combinations work well together? So although I'm a huge fan of the Arkham Horror card game, playing it again tonight, um, it's a top 10 game for me. I absolutely love it. In terms of advice for choices of characters that go well, I'm, I'm not the best person <laughs> to answer that question. But on the Slack channel, which you are on, uh, we have an Arkham Horror LCG channel. So join the Arkham Horror channel if you're not already and ask on there because there are people on there um, who are much more experienced with the game than I am who will be able to help you. You definitely need somebody to find clues, I think. And you definitely need somebody to be able to do combat, I think. But then again, Arkham Horror works as a solo game. And in a solo game, you're playing one character. You might take a non-combat character and the game still works. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, right. 
Final questions for Mick. We've got a couple more. We've got at the high and general level, what types of things do I like to do in games, especially when playing games for the first time? So he's saying, for example, one of the players in his group is famous for always taking loans um, if they're available in the game. So for me, I don't know whether I I don't know whether I have one when I'm playing games for the first time. I mean, I like collecting resources. So I'm I'm normally very greedy. If I see a space where I can go to and there's like five resources there, I'll go there. To the point where I probably end up collecting too many resources without thinking what I'm going to do with them. I just like going places and collecting resources. So that's one of the things. I, I tend to stockpile resources and then think, oh, how am I, I going to use these? Um, last question for Mick is, and I don't know if Paul from Games Law is still in the chat. If Paul from Games Law is still in the chat, this might bring back bad memories. But Mick wants to know, have I ever played Container? And if so, what are my thoughts on it? I have played it. I think it's an awful game. Absolutely awful. I don't think it works at all. And I know a lot of people love it and a lot of people think it's brilliant. But we've played it and I played it three, four times because I thought, I mean, I loved the idea of it. But ultimately, the game just did not work. Now, whether it was us as a group and we were playing it incorrectly, I don't know. But I remember when I first got the game from SM that it came out uh, and it was published by Valley Games at the time, who were an awful publisher. And I can say that because they, they've disappeared now. Um, and we went back to the hotel room and I can still, I can visually picture this. And this is over 10 years ago. Me, Paul from Games Law and somebody else, I can't remember who it was, apologies if it was you. We sat down and we tried to play Container and we broke the game. We actually caused the game to go into a negative cycle and the game ended early and that wasn't even covered in the rule book. Um, so yeah, we, we broke the game. Um, and then after that, it, it became clear that if two players actually made an agreement and said, look, every time you sell something, I will buy it at full price. And then every time you sell something, I'll buy it at full price. That breaks the game as well. So it was a nice idea container to have this player driven economy where you can set your own prices. But I don't ever want to play it again. And I have a copy in the house of the very first printing from Valley Games, which had massive issues with color problems, graphic design problems. It was just awful. So yeah, not a fan of the game at all. Right, next question from Jimmy. How are we doing for time? Half five, that's not too bad. Uh, so Jimmy wants to know, what aspect of editing rule books do I enjoy the most and which ones do I enjoy the least? <sighs> this is a really tricky question to answer. It, it, it's such an obvious question to ask. And I don't mean that in a bad way because it's a good question to ask because surely after edit, working on editing rule books for like, how long have I been doing it now? Nine years, 10 years, maybe? Because before I set, set up Gaming Rules, I was doing it for CGE and Watch Your Game on a sort of volunteer basis. Um, that you'd think I'd be able to answer that question relatively easily. And I actually can't. I don't know which there are. Now, there, there is one thing that I enjoy the most, but this isn't directly related to rulebook editing. So because of my involvement with various publishers. I, I'm not just, as some of you know, I'm not just a rulebook writer and editor. I'm also a game developer. I do game consultancy and I do game development for various publishers. So when I'm working on a rulebook, I can't help do game development. And that's the bit that I actually enjoy the most. 
And right now, for example, I'm working with Awakened Realms on ISS Vanguard. And one of the really great things about working with them is they are extremely open to my suggestions. So I'm not going to get any credit for this, which is absolutely fine. Okay, I'm not seeking credit. But a lot of people will think, oh yeah, Paul Grogan, he, he, he edited the rulebook for ISS Vanguard. What you won't realize is the amount of things in ISS Vanguard that have been tweaked and changed because of me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sound big-headed or anything. I'm, I'm saying this because it's a really enjoyable part of my job. I'm writing the rules and I'm working with the designers on it and I'm looking at things and I'm thinking, okay, so you've got these dice and these dice are going here, but then they resolve here and then they go here and then at the end of the... Right, okay. But I said, and I'm thinking about it and I'm saying, but hang on a minute, how are we going to track? Because you've got the rule that each card can only have one dice on it during this phase, but we've no way of tracking that. So how about, here's an idea, why don't you speak to the graphic designer, get them to add a slot on the card, a space where you put the dice, and then what we do is we put the dice on the card, and then we'll just shuffle a couple of other bits around, and then we'll have the dice go be removed from the card at the end of the phase. And they're like, well, that's a really good idea. And they say, yeah. And that is just one example of about a hundred things that I've been working on in ISS Vanguard. So it's been a really, really good project to work on for me personally, because I've actually ended up getting involved in some small development work in the game as well, which is very rewarding. Um, as for what the least enjoyable part is, probably the rest of it. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I know a lot of people, because I, I get this a lot, I get a lot of people saying, Paul, I really envy you, you get to work in your hobby and you must love every minute of it. And don't get me wrong, right? There are parts of my job that I absolutely love. And the fact that I, you know, I work in the industry which I'm passionate about and I love is, is great. But rulebook editing is hard work, right? I'm not going to swear, but if I was going to swear, I'd be swearing right now. It's hard work, really, really hard work. And it's, it's it, you know, it makes me nervous and you're going over things and you're going over it again and again and again and then you're almost finished with it and it's slightly late and it's got to go to the printers and then somebody finds some errors in it that aren't quite right. You know, if anybody out there thinks that I write a rule book and I write it and then it goes to print, that's not how it works. Okay, I write a draft rule book that then gets sent to a whole bunch of people, including a lot of people on my Slack channel who who really helped me out. So thank you very much to all of you who helped me out. And then you read through it and you find 20 or 30 things like little typos and stuff like that. I'm just I'm just one person. Right. And I'm not perfect at it. So without the help of other people, those rule books would not be as good as they are. And yeah, a lot of the time it is very, very hard work. So what one skill related to the work would you wish to you could instantly improve overnight everything <laughs> apart from the game development side which i think i do quite well everything else i'd like to be better at. i'd like to be better at the english language i'd like to understand when to use a semicolon i'd like to not make uh typos and and, and things like that which which do get picked up and fixed um but I'd, ideally i'd like not to make them right jimmy also has another question which jimmy I'm going to suggest you answer on you ask on the guild because this is another really good question that I think would be a perfect question for the guild. So Jimmy, pop on the guild and post post the question on there. Use the use the general field. But if you're watching this live or if you're watching this afterwards, let me know what you think. Jimmy's question is if you could choose an out of print game 
and submit a revised rulebook. So pick a game that is out of print, that isn't getting a new version anytime soon, that has a bad rulebook that you think should have a, a better rulebook and you want me to write it. So let's say I retire tomorrow, I win the lottery, which I don't do, um, I win 10 million pounds, I retire, and I basically say, right, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick up this game, which is an old game, which is out of print, and I'm gonna dedicate my life to creating a new rulebook for it just for the fun of it, okay? Two things leap to my mind, but I am interested to know what you think. The first one is 2038 from the 90s, 1995, I think, a Tom Lehman design, which is an 18xx game in space. Um, I think that needs a completely new rulebook. And if we go further back, Magic Realm. And that would be a life's work, I think. Magic Realm, historically, is one of the hardest games ever to learn. It has a massive rulebook. It's a very old school rulebook, and it would be a passion project. So there, there's two suggestions for me. Um, next question, and this is carrying on the theme of rulebook editing. This is from Cliff. As a rulebook writer, have I ever had to write or give input to rule wordings on other game components like boards and cards? Uh, is this something you enjoy more and think you would enjoy more than regular rulebook work? So I can answer that. Have I ever had to do it? Yes. As far as I'm concerned, when I'm involved in writing the rulebook for a game, I'm not just writing the rulebook. I like to be involved in the game from a holistic point of view, if that's the right word to use, and I want to see everything. Because there was one game that I was involved in where I did the rulebook and I didn't do any of the other components, and that game got absolutely slated, and the rulebook got blamed because it was awful and nobody could actually play the game. I still stand by the fact that that rulebook was a good rulebook, but I was only sent the rulebook I wasn't sent any of the other components. I asked to see the other components. I got told no, I wasn't needed. So I wrote the rulebook as best I can. The problem is the game then came out and the components had text on them which wasn't clear, none of it was explained in the rulebook and people weren't able to play the game because they were getting all of these cards and tiles and they didn't know how they worked. However, if you look at what I'm doing in Frostpunk, if you look at what I'm doing in ISS Vanguard, if you look at what I did with Robinson Crusoe, I rewrote every single card in Robinson Crusoe myself because they needed, they needed fixing. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I like to view the entire game and there's no point in having a good rulebook if your card text doesn't work. And I actually really enjoy that part of it. The bit that I'm not good at is maintaining consistency of terminology. Like, you know, Magic the Gathering has specific wording that it uses on every single card. Um, I'm, I'm not good at that. I'd like to be better at that. Um, right. Next question from Gareth. How are we doing with the questions? We're doing all right with the questions. I'm probably going to be about another 10, 15 minutes um, for, the, for the questions that I've been asked in advance, and then I'll go to the live questions. So question is from Gareth. Uh, have any of the countries you've visited for either work or pleasure had biscuits, cookies, or similar that you were ready, wish you were readily available where you are. Now, it's been so long since I've been away, I can't actually think of anything. Um, I mean, I used, to, I used to go to America two or three times a year, uh, and I've been to Germany for Essen for the last 20 years, but I can't think of anything specifically biscuit-related that these countries had. Can you think of anything in where holidays we've been on which had a particular biscuit? Yeah, Stroop Waffles, but you can get them here. Otherwise, Stroop Waffles, yeah, fantastic. So no, no, I, I can't think of anything, I'm afraid, but I will keep an eye out. The next time we go away, 
Keep an eye out for biscuits. Now, Gareth's got another good question. Do I have any toys or games from my childhood that I keep for sentimental reasons or because they're still enjoyable? Now, I'm going to answer this question in, in two parts because I actually answered it first. I, I, I spent about an hour and a half this afternoon. If you, if you Let's just go back to the Patreon campaign in a minute. If you think, hang on a minute, Paul, you're doing a live Q&A after work hours why do you need a Patreon campaign to create content? What you don't realise, there's been about three hours of work gone into preparing for this Q&A, which is time that I take off my paid work. So that, that's what the Patreon campaign is for. Anyway, in the prep that I did this afternoon, answering this question, Gareth, I actually started answering, question, I actually started answering it first, and then I realised you went, oh, wait a minute, you said childhood. So first of all, I'm going to answer what I answered first, which is battle cars... Rogue Trooper and Block Mania. I want to cover those three games. Oh, and even Axes and Allies. I want to cover those four games on the channel at some point. Now, for those who don't know, Battle Cars, Block Mania, and Rogue Trooper are very old style games from Games Workshop. Came out in the 80s. I remember enjoying them. I mean, Block Mania is just completely random nonsense. It's literally one of the most random games that I've ever played. Um, but it was fun. And Battle Cars was just driving around shooting rockets at people. And I, I, I had these games. I played them when I was a teenager. Um, so I'm keeping them for sentimental reasons. And I want to cover them on the channel at some point. I don't know when. But then, going back to what you said, you actually said childhood. So I wouldn't have said my teenage years answered your question. There is one game that leaps to mind. And if Andy Grant is in the chat, is Andy Grant in the chat? Andy Grant's not in the chat. He'll know this one. There is a game which I had, which when I was a kid, and I'm talking 9, 10, 11 years old, uh, I had a copy of this game. And it might still be in the attic. I don't know. I might have lost it. It's a game called Spy Ring. It's from Waddington's. Um, it's got Telus of Alice on the front cover, I think. Look it up on Board Game Geek. Spy Ring is the name of the game, came out in the 70s, and I remember spending hours and hours and hours of my life playing it solo, just on my own, because I'm an only child, but I'd be playing it. I loved spies, I was really into James Bond and anything spy-related when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, I, I had that game. I don't know where it is. If I still have it in the attic, I will definitely not be getting rid of it. And I'd love to play that on the channel at some point, if I actually own it. If I don't, Andy Grant's got it. Andy can come round and we'll play it. Right. And again, that's another question I'm interested in. Have you got any childhood games that you are keeping for sentimental reasons or are they still good? Right. Mindy, another question from Mindy. Uh, are there any aspects of my former working life that I particularly miss? Um, there are some, to be honest. Um, there's a few. The first thing that I miss about my former career is the fact that I got up, I got dressed, I went to work, I came home from work and then I did fun stuff. And I'm not complaining because all of this is down to my lack of personal time management. But my life is now working from almost the moment I wake up um, to just before I go to bed. You know, to give you to give you an example, I was in bed at 1130 last night chatting to a client on Messenger about a Kickstarter project. That, that's on me, right? I didn't need to do that. It wasn't chargeable work. It was, but the fact that I've fallen into this job and because this job is my life and it's my hobby and it's my passion, I've ended up being really, really bad at my time management and I never really get a break 
Um, so even when I should be winding down and doing something different, I'm ending up having conversations about games all of the time. So I do miss the fact that I was able to go to work and switch off. Uh, the other thing I miss is some of the people. Um, my previous career, for those of people who don't know, I was an IT manager at university, and I had a, I was I had a team of fifteen people under me. Um, now, out of those fifteen, some of them weren't that great at the job, some of them were okay at the job, and some of them were brilliant. And there are five or six people, maybe a bit more, on that team who. I mean, I was an IT manager there for years, and these people worked for me for years. And in that time, I had complete trust that whatever I gave them would get done, there wouldn't be any problem, they'd report to me if there was a problem. And that level of complete trust that I had, that was really nice. As a manager of a big team, to be able to give some of the smaller pieces of work and the projects to other members of the team, knowing that it would just get done. And these were also nice people who I got on with and everything else. So yeah, I, I do miss them. If any of them are watching, hello. <laughs> um, right, next question. Mark wants to know, what are my thoughts on the additions of Vinyos? 2010 versus 2016, pros versus cons. So an interesting story about the original version of Vinyos. If we're talking about games which have been a fundamental turning point in my career and life or whatever, the 2010 version of Vinyos is one of them. Because when I saw the 2010 version of Vinyos at Essen Spiel, I looked at the board and I went, oh my god, this is a game which I know I'm going to enjoy, and I bought it. I didn't know who Watch Your Game were. I'd never heard of Vital Lacerda. Zoom forward, well, 11 years, but zoom forward even five years from that. Vital Lacerda is now a good friend. He's not only a professional work colleague, and we work very closely together, we've become friends over the years. Vicky's met him. We went for lunch together on a beach in Portugal, uh, and he's a super nice guy, and I've become friends with him. Um, and Watch Your Game, I've become friends with the people from Watch Your Game. And it all stemmed from that. It all stemmed from that 2010 version of Vinyos. The artwork and the graphic design by uh, Mariano from Watch Your Game was gorgeous. Okay? So there, there's a little bit of a personal story about Vinyos. However, the new version, 2016, the graphic design is so completely different. Now, Eno Tool did a great job with Vinyos 2016, but I'm personally a huge fan of Mariano's artwork and graphic design. So I'm not sure which one of them I prefer from a artwork and graphic design point of view. I like both of them for different reasons. Rules-wise, I prefer the 2016 version. And I know some other heavy gamers will go, oh, you're not a real heavy gamer unless you play the 2010 version. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Both, both versions are, are heavy. Um, the 2010 version, in my opinion, has some problems which are fixed in the 2016 version. Now, one of the criticisms of the 2010 version was the bank. I personally loved the bank. I've never seen a game before where when you earned money as a player, that money didn't go to you, but it went to a bank. And then one of the actions that you had to take was to visit the bank and withdraw your money. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And they got rid of the bank in the 2010 version. 
uh, sorry, in the 2016 version. So why do I think the 2016 version is better? It's the way the managers work. And if we're talking, go back to a question that was asked earlier on about games that broke me. The way that the managers worked in the original 2010 version was a nightmare to explain, a nightmare to understand, counterintuitive, especially with the barrels coming back from the ship. It just, it was clunky and it didn't work, in my opinion. I mean, it did work, but it was just complexity for complexity's sake. The 2016 version changes that and the managers work in a very different way. So we did lose the bank, but the managers work better and the fair works better. There you go. So 2016, pros versus cons, different people will have different opinions. The ones who have different opinions to me are known as wrong, I think, if you look up in the dictionary. Anyway, Slayer1 says, which rulebook have I worked on? Uh, sorry, which rulebook have I not worked on? Do I consider to be the best and what makes it the best? There are some great rulebooks out there. I have read a lot of rulebooks which are very, very good. Uh, the few that come to mind, uh, Great Western Trail, Mombasa. I think both of those rulebooks are exceptional rulebooks. I think Russian Railroads is also a very good rulebook, but there's a lot of very good rulebooks out there. Um, you know, I, I could say rulebooks from CGE, and a lot of you think, well, Paul, don't you write the rulebooks from CGE? Okay, I don't write the rulebooks for CGE. I have had some involvement with some of them, but I had no involvement with Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, I had no involvement with some of the earlier CGE rulebooks. So Galaxy Trucker, I think is a fantastic rulebook. I had nothing to do with that one. Space Alert rulebook is one of the best rulebooks ever. Um, I had nothing to do with that one either. So yeah, yeah, there, there's, there's a few. Uh, what makes them good? If I can read a rulebook and as I'm reading it, it makes sense. And the flow of information coming to me as a reader is logical. It's in the right order. It's giving me what I need to know at the right time. And then when I've read the rule book, if we're playing the game, if I have any questions, I can find the answers. And also, and this is another thing with rule books, I, it really bugs me when you're playing a game and a situation happens and it's not covered in the rule book. Because that, to me, I'm like, did you even play test this game? Did that situation never occur? And if it did occur, why didn't you put it in your rule book? And that's one of the things that uh, the CGE rulebooks were really good at, is all of those situations that could possibly happen during the playtesting were all written down, and then they made sure the answers to them were in the rulebook. So yeah, there's some good rulebooks. Right, Pete Norman is here. Uh, he wants to know, is there any non-board game specific vocabulary that I have learned because of board games? Now, Pete uses the example of orthogonally because it's a word that he learned from watching board game videos. And this is a question, again, if you're watching this live um, or if you're asking, if, if you're watching this afterwards, is there, a, is there any word or words that you've learned from board games? My answer to the question, Pete, is orthogonally, <laughs> Princes of Florence, 1999. I, I read the rulebook for Princes of Florence and I came across the word orthogonally and I now use it probably every day. Um, if I can, because it's a brilliant word, and I'd never heard of that word before. Um, and now, it, it's weird because it's one of those words that whenever I use that word in a rule book, I always, the first time I use it, I always put brackets and I explain what it means. Because not everybody knows what the word means. Um, so yeah, orthogonally is a word that I have learned. But if we're talking about other words that I have learned from board games, I have learned a lot. So. 
I've learned so much from playing Codenames, right? Because I've played Codenames a few hundred times, and I've played it with lots of different people, uh, and I've got some friends of mine who will give a clue. I haven't got a clue what it means. And then when they've explained the clue afterwards, so my knowledge of things has actually, and, and my knowledge of certain words has actually been made wider because of playing games like Codenames. Um, and even today, me and Vicky have just learned in a game today the difference between inquiry and enquiry. And it's, it's interesting. Look it up if you're interested in it. So the word enquiry with an E and the word inquiry with an I, we were like, well, hang on a minute. Which, yeah, so there is a slight difference between the use of those words, which we found interesting. Um, next question. And this is another question which I think might be useful for the guild. Uh, so if you're on the guild, Pete, definitely ask the question on there. Which independently designed games could be combined to make a linked story or series of games during a game session? So we're not talking about games from the same designer in the same world. We're talking about completely independent games that could be part of a series. And the one that leaps to mind for me is that um, there's a game called Great Fire of London, and then there's a game called London where you rebuild the city after the Great Fire. Completely different designers, completely different publishers, but they could be they could be together. I keep knocking this. Um, but yeah, have you got any other ideas? I mean, the one that Pete said is um, Quest for El Dorado and then Lost Ruins of Arnak and then Ink and Gold. Um, so I've only played Lost Ruins of Arnak out of those three. But yeah, it's a good question. Pete also wants to know, are there any relatively insignificant things about games that just annoy me or put me off a game? Uh, now, Pete has a dislike, like many people, for large square rule books. For me, I mean, we're talking insignificant things. For me, these are not insignificant. Bad rule books, bad graphic design, uh, bad color choices, um, boxes that are too big for the game where you open it up and it's 80% air. That's terrible. Uh, and cards that don't fit sleeves. Things like that really annoy me. Following on from that, he also wants to know, is it possible for art and graphic design to make a good game great or a good game bad? And the answer to that is 100% yes. Um, art and graphic design make a big difference. Mostly graphic design in terms of functionality, but also, you know, we all like pretty things. Um, artwork is subjective, but graphic design should not be subjective. Art, graphic design should be, is it clear what these, what all of this stuff means? You know, are you putting yellow text on a white background, for example, things like that. So yeah, it can absolutely make the difference. Right, next question from Neil. We've got three questions left, and then we're going to go to the live questions. So, question from Neil. Uh, am I aware that Gloomhaven Digital will finally be leaving early access and getting a full release on October 20th? I am aware. Will I be producing any content for it for the channel? Yes. Um, fairly soon. I have been given, not quite an exclusive, um, but I have been given an early look at the campaign. I have actually played the campaign on my computer. Um, and I am hoping to get permission to share some of it next week. So yes, I have a copy of the final version of Gloomhaven Digital on my computer. I can play the campaign right now if I wanted to, um, and I'll hopefully be doing some content for that next week. Kenneth, if I was stuck on a desert island with little hope for rescue and your only form of ent entertainment was a single board game with a suitable gaming partner included, 
Would I rather have a beige euro with cubes and discs for resources, variable setup and deep strategic play, or a long story-based role-playing campaign with branching story paths and multiple characters? Vicky knows what I'm going to say here, but what would I have said 10 years ago? You don't know? So, yeah, so 10 years ago, did I have any long story-based role-playing campaigns? No. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, no. So Vicky thinks that I would go for the first one. Yeah. But no, I, I wouldn't. My gaming tastes and style has evolved. I, I don't, don't get me wrong, don't unsubscribe from the channel. I still love the beige euro where you push cubes around and try and get points. I love them, okay? But over the last four years, five years maybe, I have definitely got, and, and these games have become more popular as well. But there is a definite satisfaction with some of the narrative-based story games that we've been playing through together. Tainted Grail, you know, things like even Gloomhaven and things like that. The character progression, the way the story advances. I mean, Tainted Grail, I have gone on record and saying it's the best narrative-driven experience I have ever had. I'm not saying the game's perfect, the game has some problems with the game, but as far as a narrative story goes, wow mind blown uh, and from what i've seen of iss vanguard i can't wait to play it right absolutely and i'm not saying that because i'm trying to shield the game i'm saying that because i've seen what this campaign is about and what you do and this storyline and what it, this is just fantastic and th this is stuff that i'm going to remember so i get I, I love playing the beige euros but if given a choice stuck on a desert island with with one game it would be it would be a story-based game. So the final question from the pre-live questions, and we're almost an hour in, are there any games that I feel uh, that feel like more work than fun? Since I enjoy very heavy games, is there some aspect other than weight that makes a game feel like work? Yeah, it was mainly weight, I think. Thanks, Ezra, for the question. Um, there, yeah, I mean, it, it's probably the weight of the game, the complexity of the game, and also how opaque the rules are. So if you're playing a game which the rules are absolutely 100% perfect, the rules are crystal clear, but the game is just heavy and you're having to make such difficult decisions, that can feel like work. But for me, what feels more like work is when the, when the game isn't clear and you are having to try to work out how to play the game and wonder whether you're playing it correctly. And then you've got a third aspect of the game where the game, and, and the phrase is complexity for complexity's sake, where the game just adds all of these extra layers of complexity and you think, why? What, why, have you, why have you done the game that complex when it doesn't need to be that complex? Um, so yeah, there, there are some games uh, that, that do feel you know, too much work to play uh, and I can't think of any recently that I have played where I didn't enjoy the game. So, yeah. Right. That is it from all of the questions that I've been asked in advance. So we're now going to go over to the live questions. But before I do, just a short, short break while I have a glass of water. And again, 
If you like the content that I create, consider supporting me on Patreon. Three contests this month. You can win a copy of Origins First Builders if you are a patron supporter of mine at producer level or higher by the end of the month, which I think is tomorrow. Uh, you will automatically get, get into that, entered into that contest. You don't need to do anything. Contest number two is to win £25 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Vicky is going to post a link now. That is a contest which you actually need to enter. So if you click on the link uh, that's that's appearing in the chat very, very soon, that will take you to a form. The secret word is poisoned, which is this card here, uh, which is probably going to happen to me tonight. That contest the, runs from now until the next Q&A. So if you are not watching this live, you can still enter the contest. You've got until like the 27th of October, whatever the last Wednesday in October is to enter that contest. And the third contest that I'm running right now is to win a copy of Concordia Digital. Uh, if you want to enter that contest, pop on over to YouTube, have a look on my channel. Earlier today, I released a video as a first look of Concordia Digital. And in the description of that video, there is a link to a contest. Uh, that's how you can win a copy of that. So yeah, three contests that I'm running at the moment. And if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries into those contests. But the Q&A one and the Concordia one, you need to actually click on the form to enter. So yeah, thank you very much to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. Right, so live questions. Here we go. First one from Matisse. Uh, Voidfall, did I like it? I can't answer that question, I'm afraid. Um, if Chris is in the chat and you've got your drink handy or Brett's here, um, now is the time to take a drink because I am going to use the phrase, I am professionally involved in that game and therefore I can't give my personal opinion. Yeah, to be fair, the videos that I created for Voidfall were commissioned videos. I was I was paid by Mind Clash Games to create those videos, so it would be unfair of me to um, you know, share my public. It, it would be not professional of me to share my personal opinions on those games. Uh, Frodo wants to know, well, CompuCube wants to know, well-designed digital game or physical board game? Always physical board game. Always, always physical board game. But there is a time and a place, like I have a copy, bragging again, I have a copy of the Maracaibo digital version. Okay, I got a beta, I got sent a, a key for it. I'm helping test it. I'll hopefully be showing it on the channel, maybe even Friday, but if not next week. And I've been going to bed every night for the last two weeks playing Maracaibo, which means I get to play one of my favorite games digitally in bed every night. For me, I can't set Maracaibo up and play it every night. So yeah, um, following on from that, or is that a question from you? It's a question from the chat, is it? No. It's a question from you. Vicky's got a question. So tuning in to this week's live Q&A is Vicky with a question. Would I prefer to play Gloomhaven Digital or Physical Di uh, Gloomhaven? That is a really good question. I've answered this before. What did I answer last time? I think I think I do. Oh no, yeah. Oh. So, Gloomhaven Digital is a tricky one. So I've I've apparently I've said before that I would prefer to play Gloomhaven Digital than Gloomhaven the board game. Even though I've just said that I prefer to play a physical board game. I'll edit this bit out. Yeah, we'll we'll edit this bit out of the video. Right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly undecided on that one. <laughs> Ask me next month and I'll change my mind again. Um, right, next question. Swill Swill, uh, do I have any family members that I enjoy playing games with? 
yeah, Vicky, really, that's it. I mean, in terms of direct family, there's my dad, and that's it. And when my dad lived with me, when my mum passed away, we played some games together, and they were enjoyable. Um, my dad's great. Um, my mum and my dad would always play games with, with me when I wanted to play games, whether they actually knew at all what was going on or not. Uh, and my mum, bless her, my mum generally didn't understand games or know what was going on. My dad kind of did. Um, and when my dad lived with me, how long did he live with us? For three months or so? He played some games with us and he actually took part. He actually enjoyed them and he got involved. He didn't just play along just for the sake of it. He actually got involved and did play them. And I used to run a local games club every two weeks. And he came along to the games club because it gave Vicky a night on her own. And it would have been weird if he'd have stayed here when I went to the games club. And he came along and he joined in and he played games with other people. Now, some of those games were a little bit above him, but I remember he played... Um, it was Marrakesh, not the new version, not the new Stefan Feld game of Marrakesh, but an old one with carpets, and he won. And he actually played the game, and he actually knew what he was doing. It was really nice to see. So yeah, in terms of direct family, there is only my dad, who now lives a few hundred miles away. Um, but other than that, yeah, Vicky, I, I, I enjoy playing games with her. Uh, Willem wants to know, have I made an Essen anticipated list yet, and am I planning to do a video on it? So, no, I haven't. Um, because at the moment, I'm actually quite stressed out about the amount of work I've got to get done before I go to Essen. So I tell you what, it, it's unlikely, but for you, I, I will try and do that. What I will do is I will, it will probably be very rough, um, and I will just look through the Essen release sheet, um, and I will have a quick look at them, and I, and I will, I, it will be, it'll be very, very rough. But no, I, I haven't done. My actual plan is to spend my time that when I'm traveling to Essen to look through the list of people that are going to be there so I know who to go and see uh, and also look at what games are coming out. So my plan was to do it on the way there because um, I'm going to have a few hours on a train. Next question from Food Flights. Uh, you're already looking for my rules explanation for Weather Machine. Am I looking forward to it as well? Yes, I am looking forward to it and I've actually agreed this this week. So there is a... There is a um, a pre-production copy of Weather Machine that should be ready in seven days' time. It is then leaving China and it is being sent to uh, Eagle Griffin Games. Eagle Griffin Games will take it out of one box, put it into another box and send it to me. It's due to arrive with me while I'm away in Essen. So by the time I get back from Essen, there should be a pre-production copy of Weather Machine with me and I will be creating a tutorial and playthrough video. This is the plan anyway. It's not 100% agreed, but I think we're pretty much going to do it. Um, I'll be creating a tutorial and playthrough video for the launch of the Kickstarter campaign, which is the end of October. I am very much looking forward to it because I have only played the game online on, on digital platforms, and Ian O'Toole and Vittel have done a fantastic job with the game, and it looks amazing. I've got to re re read my own rulebook and remember how to play, but, yeah, I am really looking forward to it. I'm also really looking forward to it because I know that the friends who I'm going to invite round to play that game with me, they are going to really enjoy the game, he says. Cross fingers. Right, next question. Uh, also from Matisse, when VR advances and people will more and more emerge into virtual reality, where they can literally play board games in virtual reality, will it mean the end of physical board games? I 
I haven't thought about that, but no, I don't think it will. I think as a human species, I think no matter how good you make virtual reality, there will always be a need to meet up in person. I mean, saying that, if virtual reality is so good like in Ready Player One or something like that, then maybe. I don't, I don't know, but that's not going to happen in my lifetime. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, good luck for all you, you youngsters out there who are going to have that sort of thing in future, if we do. Uh, Logan is asking me what game am I most excited to play or buy at SN21. But as I just mentioned, I haven't been through the list yet, but I can tell you the new game from Vladimir Suhi, uh, Messina 1347. I know very little about it, but Underwater Cities is fantastic. Praga Kaput Regni is fantastic. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to anything that he does, and that that is that that would be on my list. Uh, and obviously the expansion for Lost Ruins of Arnak. Lost Ruins of Arnak, fantastic game. Expansion's brilliant. Yeah, looking forward to getting that. There's there's a few others as well. Um, there's one that I am looking forward to play while I'm there. But I think it's top secret. I don't even think yet they, they've announced it. No. So I'm actually going to send a message after this Q&A to the person and say, "Am I? Should I? was I allowed to mention this? Because I can't mention it. If I'm not allowed to mention it, I can't. But there is a game that isn't out at Essen this year, um, but I know about, and it's quite exciting. So I'll have a look afterwards. Um, Alejandro wants to know, so, first question, Alejandro, is that how you pronounce your name? Because in Arkham Horror that we're playing tonight, well, there is a character called Alejandro that is spelt exactly the same as yours, and I think that's how you pronounce it. So please let me know if I have pronounced your name correctly, because if I have, I'm pronouncing it right in the game. Best card game I've played this year. Arkham Horror, Marvel Champions. Oh, I don't know. Arkham Horror and Marvel Champions are two of my favourite games. They are both in my top ten games. I love them both. I love them for different reasons. I wouldn't be able to say which one I enjoy the most, because every time I play either one of them, I just love it and want to play more of it. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um... Next question. Is there a story behind the crane tree? Yes. So these were made by Vicky's sister. She made 20 of them, 30 of them, whatever. Uh, and they were placed all around. She got married a couple of months ago and she made all of these. And these were all around the place. Uh, and I really liked them. And I said, can I take one home with me? And she said, yes. And I kind of, I've just kept it. So yeah, it's really, it's really nice. Little, um, little origami cranes on it. So, oh, what's happened to that one? Oh, hang on a minute. This one's got all tangled up. There we go. Freed. Um, does Nussfjord rank in terms of solo and multiplayer? Oh, where does Nussfjord rank in, in terms of solo and multiplayer? So Nussfjord, with my house rule, I really like. Without my house rule, I think, I think the game's got a problem. Um... So, I, I mean, I like it. One of the best things with Nussfjord is it's it's pretty quick. I remember playing a solo game of Nussfjord in, is it 20 minutes or something like that? So where does it rank? I don't know. Yeah, I can't give you a number. I, I, I cannot give you a number. All I know is that I do enjoy it, both solo and multiplayer. 
But yeah, I, I don't know where I can rank it. Next question from Matisse. Have I ever thought about designing my own board game? So, <laughs> so I've been designing my own board game since the 80s. Um, yeah, when I started playing board games and when I started playing role-playing games, I've had ideas in my head. Um, I mean, I, I could talk about this subject for 15 minutes, so I'm probably going to put this on my list of frequently asked questions so that I can point people to it, because the story behind me designing a game is is very, very long. So I, I've been trying to design games for over 30 years. I've had many, many ideas for games. A lot of them have ended up on paper. Um, one of them actually did get made into an actual playable game that some people watching in the chat um, have might have played. But, oh, we've, we've got a Loki. Hello, Loki. Um, so yes, I have thought about designing my, my own game, but to be honest, and, and, and to be fair, for many, many, many years, it was a monkey on my back. And it was bothering me. It was really irritating me. And I was spending a lot of mental time and effort and energy because I was like, well, everybody else is designing games and I, I should be able to design a game. And then when I actually did finish my own game to the point where it was playable and people played it and it was okay, it wasn't great, but it, it worked, um, I realized I've put years into this and I don't want to do this. I, I've put all of this work in and I've ended up with an okay game that probably still needs some work. And it's taken me years and months and and people are play testing it and I've been working on it and it's just not worth it. It really isn't worth it for me because being a game developer for me is brilliant. I get to tweak, you know, huge games that are out there. You know, I you look at Through the Ages, okay, the new version of Through the Ages, one of those cards I designed. You know, that, that that's me in there. Um, there's a number of other board games that come out, and I talked about ISS Vanguard earlier on. When ISS Vanguard comes out, I am going to feel really, really proud that I was a part of that game, and I've helped tweak bits here and there, and I'm not taking anything away from the designers. They've done 99% of the work, but the fact that I've come along and have made some suggestions that are improving the game, that's great for me. So yeah, I've... I've, that monkey has gone off my back. I've still got some great ideas, and I think the some of the ideas that I've got for games would be great games if somebody else was to, to design them. I just don't have the the time, the effort, the patience, really, to actually go into proper design myself. Uh, Matthew's in the chat. Matthew wants to know, do I believe in blinging games and does it add to the experience of a game? So yes and yes, but I don't do it that much. And the reason why I... I don't do it that much is because I don't play a game enough usually to it be worth it to bling it up. The exception being Gloomhaven. We play Gloomhaven uh, and a friend of mine and patron supporter Patrick over in America used his 3D printer to, to print lots of scenery for us. We use that scenery in our games. Does it make the experience of playing the game better? Vicky's, Vicky's not sure. I'm a definite yes. You know, when you see a room and it's got actual tables in it rather than just bits of cardboard, it, it really does look nice. Um, and I've seen some people playing Terraforming Mars with massive blinged out games and it looks fantastic. I have seen people playing Scythe with all of the special resources and everything else. Does it enhance the experience of playing a game? 100% yes. Um, do I do it that much? I don't do it that much. And the reason I don't do it that much is, as I say, with, with the exception of, you know, Gloomhaven or something like that, Tainted Grail, 
I'm not playing these games regularly enough in order for it to be worth the time and effort to, to, to bling up the game. I've got some metal coins and things like that that I'll use, but other than that, I don't do it that much, but I, I do like it. Am I a fan of 4X games? And if so, some of my favorites. I am a fan of 4X games in general, because as I mentioned earlier on, I like civilization style games and a lot of civilization style games tend to be 4X games. For those people who don't know, 4X games are expand, explore, sorry, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. Um, so if you think like, you know, games where you are exploring an area, then you are building up, you know, getting the resources from that area, then you're expanding your empire into that area, and then you're exterminating the other players or whatever, They're those kind of games. Um, yeah, there's a lot of them that I like, and some of my favorites, I don't know. It's at that point in the Q&A where I'm actually quite quite art now, and I can't, I can't think straight. Um, some people who know me will probably, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking Twilight Imperium, but I wouldn't put Twilight Imperium as one of my favorites. Eclipse, I wouldn't put Eclipse as one of my favorites because both of those games have a high level of randomness. Um, the question for the live chat, which 4X games do I like? Somebody tell me because my, my brain has shut down. Um, Jacobs wants to know what are my favorite board game uh, mechanisms. I like resource management. I like uh, resource conversion. I absolutely love, if you give me the ability to turn three brown cubes into a gray cube, oh, love that. Um, as long as there's a thematic reason. I, I like to create, it's because I like the Anno series of games where you take one wood or, or two wood and a brick and a glass and you build a house, that kind of thing. Um, I do like deck building. I love worker placement. Yeah, they're some of my favorite ones. While we're here, let's talk about some of my least favorite ones. Blind bidding. Ugh. Hidden Traitor, Hidden Roll, Social Deduction, Push Your Luck. Ah, don't like those games in general. Biggest rulebook that I edited. Um, yeah, I mean, Robinson Crusoe 2nd Edition was pretty huge. Frostpunk is pretty huge. Um, Legends Untold was pretty huge. Batman Gotham City Chronicles is pretty huge. I've, I've done... I've done quite a few rule books that are, that are big. I, I, I'm not sure which of them is the biggest. Euthea is also huge. And Euthea, I didn't just do the rule book, but I did the appendix. I did the scenario book. Uh, and yeah, Euthea is a, is a massive, massive rule book when you put it all together. Um, Jim wants to know, what do I think of the game Dominion of the Stars? I've never heard of that game, Jim. So <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about that one. I'm sorry. I can't help you with that one. Charlie wants to know a good deck builder for two beginners, co-op or competitive. Now, this is interesting, Charlie, because you have said for beginners. I have deck builders which I think are great games. Aeon's End is a fantastic game. It's cooperative. Um, so I, I would recommend Aeon's End. But when you say beginners, I don't know how much you are a beginner into the hobby. If you are brand new to the hobby and have not really played much before, Aeon's End might be too much. It might, it's not too complicated, but it might be too much. And although I'm not a big fan of the core, the base game Dominion itself, I mean, I am a fan for what Dominion has given to the hobby, but I wouldn't generally choose to play Dominion because I like deck builders where you're doing 
something with the deck that you've built. Um, but in terms of simplicity, Dominion is, a, is, is another good one. Um, it all depends. Uh, I mean, a lot of people really like Star Realms and Ascension and things like that. I'm, I'm not a big fan of those myself, personally. Um, the Legendary games as well. Again, a lot of people are fans of the Legendary games. I'm not. Um, but if you both like Alien, for example, then Legendary Alien. Or if you both like Marvel, Legendary Marvel. There's lots and lots of different deck builders out there. So, yeah, Aeon's End definitely is, is one of my favourites. What are my, some of my other favourite deck building games? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Yeah, if you like Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle game is also good. Um, yeah, definitely. Right. So, what time are we? Quarter past six. Yeah, so we're going to say no more questions from this point. We have enough questions that have come in uh, for us to keep us going for the next quarter of an hour. So, yeah, no more questions from now. If you do have any questions for me, please save them up. And in about three weeks' time, three and a half weeks' time, I will be posting another thread on my BGG Guild uh, to basically say, what are your questions for October? So, if you've got any questions, hang fire till then. Right. Have I tried a battered Jaffa Jonah? Ian's in the chat. No. So the other day, I didn't send you a message. I didn't send you. Ian sent me a Facebook message. He was in his local chip shop or pub. They're selling battered Jaffa Jonahs. I haven't, Ian. Um, maybe. Maybe I can buy a Jaffa Jonah and take it to the fish and chip shop and ask them to batter it. They'll do that. Yeah, I might do that. Um, will Queen's Garden be the best Azul game? I don't know. I've only ever played the base Azul, which I quite liked, although it did have a bit of a mean streak. Um, so yeah, I've, I've only played the base game Azul. I've not played any of the other versions. I know, shock horror. Um, Jonathan is saying, as somebody who loves Mage Knight solo, any other comparable games in your play history? Euthea. There's the, there's the first one that comes to mind. When you look at Euthea, it's a very different game to Mage Knight, but in some respects, it's exactly the same game to Mage Knight. It has hexes. You move around the hexes. It's fantasy. It can be played competitive. It can be played cooperative. It can be played solo. There's so many similarities between Mage Knight and Euthea, but in terms of me game mechanisms, it's a completely different game. Um, but yeah, if you like Mage Knight solo, then definitely have a look at Euthea because it is... Of a, of a similar type of type of game. Um, any other comparable games to Mage Knight Solo? It's tricky because Mage Knight is one of those which stands sort of alone as this is a puzzle game. This is a fantasy exploration game, but ultimately it is a it is a puzzle full of choices and everything else. So lots of other fantasy games with dice rolling and things like that. You might think, well, they're thematically the same as Mage Knight. But Mage Knight is its own thing. So yeah, have a look at have a look at you, Thea. Um, yeah, see what you think about that. Wade wants to know what are my thoughts on teaching Vital Lacerda games to a ten-year-old. So I would not like to do that. Um, I personally, I mean, if, you know, if if you came along and you said, Paul, here's my ten-year-old son really switched on. He's played loads of heavy games before. Will you teach us both how to play Vinyos 2016? I would happily do it, okay? But otherwise, if I was to be at a convention and, you know, 
a family turned up and there was a 10 year old there and they sat down to play on Mars, I'd be thinking, oh, okay, this isn't... Now, I don't know if I'm being too critical, but I know some 10 year olds. How old's Holly now? 12? Holly would not be able to play on Mars. Right? But we also know some very, very smart individuals. How old's Jasper? 14, 15? He's really switched on, right? Jasper is, plays loads of games, and if Jasper wanted to play on Mars, I would happily teach him how to play on Mars. But he's like 14, 15. He's not 10. So, thoughts on teaching Vital Lacerda games to a 10-year-old? I don't think that's a good idea. And I don't think I'm being unfair in saying that. That is my honest opinion. It wouldn't be good for them. It wouldn't be good for you. It's not worth it. It's, you know, unless they are super, super intelligent, then it's, it's, it's going to go wrong. Second question, what are my top two, top two favorite unique implementations of basic mechanics? Oh gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to think about that one offhand unless, right, first things that come to mind, Aeon's End. It takes deck building, but the fact that you don't shuffle your discard pile when you're done and you flip your deck over is genius because one of the problems that I have with a lot of deck building games is whether you get the combos or not is down to the randomness of whether you shuffled your deck. And in Aeon's End, it takes that mechanism of deck building and just tweaks it in the when your deck is empty, you turn your discard pile over. So there you go. There's a unique implementation. Uh, that's one of them. I might struggle to find a second one, but there you go. You've got one. Uh, James has got a question. Great Fire of London is on his shelf of opportunity and has been there for years since winning it in a charity blind auction at one of his first small conventions. Worth playing? I don't know. I've never played it, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I've heard things about it from other people. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would have a look on Board Game Geek. Like every game, you're going to find people that really enjoy it. I think the fact that it's not huge and that popular might mean it isn't actually that good, but I don't know. Um, I mean, I know people that have played it and said it was good. I also know people that have played it and said it's not good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not answering your question, but I'm not being deliberately avoiding it. I'm just saying I've not played it and I've heard mixed things. Monica wants to know, when did I notice my taste in games changed? It's been a gradual thing. It is. It has been a gradual thing. But when did I notice it? Probably two years. Probably Tainted Grail. Now, there were games that we played that led up to Tainted Grail. So I'm not saying it was Tainted Grail that changed my mind. But it was around the time where we were playing Tainted Grail. And suddenly I was having a different experience playing board games than than the cube pushers. So it was probably a couple of years ago, but it's been building for a little bit before that as well. Um, and it's not so much that my tasting games has, well, it, it has changed, but it, it, it's evolved. And as I said, as I mentioned earlier on, I still love the dry, boring, crunchy point salad cube pushing euros. That hasn't changed. It's not that I've changed and I've gone off those. It's just in the last four or five years, I think my, my tastes have opened up. So when I first played the Pathfinder Adventure card game, it was massively disappointing. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. It was one of the worst games I've ever played. I thought it was awful. Skip forward 
Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, check out my channel. I've done... How many videos have I done on Pathfinder Adventure Card Game now? Twelve? And every single one I loved it. So my tastes have evolved, my tastes have changed, but I've not replaced anything. I've just added to it with other stuff. Question from Brian. How am I going to convince the missus to give you the money to buy Unbreakable from Chip Theory Games, and if it's good, can he use it to convince his wife? So thankfully, <laughs> how are you going to convince you to give me... So thankfully, I am on a special list of people at Chip Theory Games, um, and it is, I'm, I'm being full disclosure here, full honesty, it is very likely that I will get a review copy of Unbreakable um, because of my position in the industry and because of the, the videos that I do for them. So luckily for me, uh, I am likely to be getting a copy of that game when it comes out if I just ask politely for it. If it's good, can you use it to convince your wife? Yes, absolutely, if you want to. <laughs> I'm more than happy with that. I don't actually know much about it yet. I, I need to look into it. Um, Lucian wants to know, do I like Rondel games? And if so, which in particular? So yes, um, I do like Rondel games. And now, this is another thing. Uh, we can start a whole controversial topic here of what is a Rondel game. I have my own definition of what a Rondel game is, which I think is the normal one. But there are other people who think other games are a rondel game, like Great Western Trail is a rondel game. No, it's not a rondel game. Um, the first ever rondel game that came out, as far as I'm concerned, is by Mac Gertz and is Antique, or Antique, the first one. And I was there, the S in it came out, and I bought it, and I still have a copy of it, and it's signed. That was the first rondel game, in my opinion, that came out. And the rondel mechanism is fantastic. Uh, I have got... Um, Hamburgum, which is a Rondel game. I've got Imperial, which is a Rondel game. Um, and then Rondel game, Rondel mechanisms became a, a thing. So yeah, do I like them? Yes. Do I have a favourite? I think possibly either Hamburgum or Navegador. But Navegador, 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 however you pronounce it, has a game balance problem, I think. If it weren't for that, it, it would be that one most definitely. But Hamburgum is really good. So they're my favourite rondel games. Apart from things like Shipyard. Shipyard has multiple rondels. They're, that's good as well. And there's probably other more modern rondel games that I like. Uh, Julian, do I feel there is a saturation of worker placement games? Nope, there's not enough. Every game should be a worker placement game as far as I'm concerned. Do I think there needs to be more development in new board game mechanisms? Nope. Nope. I don't, I don't think there needs to be more developing in new ones, because as far as I'm concerned, we already have enough. Now, if somebody comes up with a new one, brilliant. But I'm more than happy with what we've got at the moment. Um, so I, I don't feel that there is a saturation of worker placement board games, because, well, for two reasons. First of all, I love them. So the more of them, the merrier. But also, we are living in a time when there are so many different games out there. If you don't like worker placement games, there are still hundreds of other games available to you, and you've got the luxury of choosing whatever you want to choose. So yeah, I, I think we're okay with that. Uh, Matthew wants to know, am I going back to Dragonfire anytime soon? Matthew needs help. What do you need help with, Matthew? Um, more than happy to help you. Do I want to go back to Dragonfire? I want to go back to Dragonfire. We we did have a quick game of it um, using Tabletop Simulator uh, a few months ago, but it is one that I do want to go back to. Unfortunately, it's on the list of about, if I'm honest, 
probably 40 games on a list of games that I want to play more of. And I just don't have the time at the moment. And Dragonfire is one of those games that doesn't really work with fewer than four players. So it's a case of when am I going to find time when four people around here where we want to play Dragonfire because there are 40 other games that we want to play as well. Um, but if you need help, Matthew, um, then yeah, let, let me know uh, and we can try and help you out because the rules, the rule book of the game is a little bit iffy. We really struggled with it the last time we played, but we can, we can try and help you out. Right, next. Monica, are there any promo cards out there sporting Paul Grogan's face? There are not. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether that's a that's a good thing or not. Uh, there is an Under Falling Skies promo with Lo with Thor and Loki on it, but but no promo cards sporting my face. Um, there is going to be a promo card for Endless Winter, which is going to be coming out. Um, a gaming Rules promo card. And there is also going to be a Gaming Rules promo card, I believe, for the Maracaibo expansion. Um, I've been told these things are both happening, and I've seen artwork and finished versions for them. But we, we will see. Hopefully, hopefully they will happen. Right, we are we are done with all the questions. So it's 6:30. Excellent. Perfect timing. Just before we go, please don't switch off. As I mentioned at the start, this video and a lot of the other videos that I'm creating are only possible due to the support of the Patreon campaign. Um, so if you are in a position to be able to support me on Patreon, as I said, I do rely on that financial support. And a lot of you watching this are Patreon supporters of mine. So thank you very much. Without your support, this video and a lot of the other videos I'm making just simply won't happen. And I'm running three contests at the moment. So just as a reminder, because I know it's very confusing. First one, monthly giveaway, Patreons only. You don't need to do anything. But one of my Patreon supporters at the end of this month is going to win a copy of Origins First Builders. Thank you very much to Board and Dice for giving me that. The second contest is one that you actually need to enter. Vicky's going to post a link in the chat now. It's the last time we're going to post it today. To enter this contest, you need to click on that link and you need to answer the questions. The secret word is poisoned. And if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries. Anybody can enter that contest, but if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries. And that contest closes in about a month's time. And the third and final contest that I'm running at the moment is a giveaway for a digital key on Steam for Concordia Digital. If you want to enter that contest, you need to go and check out my video that I did earlier today for Concordia Digital. And there is details in that video of how you can enter that. And that contest ends this Sunday. And again, if you're a patron supporter, you get extra entries into there. And that's everything. Um, yeah, thank you very much for watching. I mentioned that I have a, bit, a guild on Board Game Geek. It's a very quiet guild. There isn't much in there. But if you are a member of the guild, please use the guild. You are more than welcome to post anything on the guild and get answers from other people. And we've had three questions tonight which I think, sorry, yeah, three questions tonight, which I think would make really good questions for the guild. So if you were one of those people who asked those questions, please head on over to the Board Game Geek Guild, go to the general, uh, don't use the news one, the news one is supposed to be for me, um, but use the general thing on the guild, post your question on there and you'll get lots and lots of answers. And that's everything. Um, for those people interested, in two and a half hours time, no, in one and a half hours time, Arkham Horror, Forgotten Age, Chapter 4. Chapter 4, that's happening. That's how It's all set up on the table here. We are playing Arkham Horror Chapter 4 tonight. So we've got one hour to tidy the house, eat dinner. I've got to have a shower, set everything up, cook dinner, 
and then we're all done. But that's happening tonight. It's been a really busy day. But yeah, this has been fun. Thanks very much for everybody for joining. Take care and I will see you all next time. Good night. Proudly sponsored by Game Toppers, upgrading your gaming experience. Visit